want you to think about a scenario that seems crazy, but just try to imagine this in your mind, all right? Imagine that a, you invited a Hindu priest to come to your house several hours a day, seven days a week, in order to help your children and teach your children and just basically educate your children. Do you think that would have a very big impact upon your kids, those of you who are parents? Just ponder that. Think, really think about the impact that it would have on them. Now think about this. The latest statistics show that most American children spend about three hours daily watching television, and all together, including all screen times, five to seven hours per day. And we know that if you pay attention at all during the... Uh, yeah, slide that little slider down. Yeah, it's a, quite a contrast there. There we go. Um, if, if you pay attention at all to kids' movies or kids' shows, you will realize that primarily these shows that target kids, they teach this message that says, discover yourself, be true to whatever it is that you discover, and then follow your heart wherever it leads. Most movies, Disney or Disney ripoff type movies, that boils down to what they're communicating, their messages, their morals in these shows. Discover yourself, right? Be true to whatever you discover inside yourself, and then follow your heart to wherever it leads. And so think about back to the Hindu priest. Maybe we're unintentionally allowing our children and the next generation of Christians who are going to lead our church to be conditioned and, let me say, brainwashed in thinking that is anti-gospel and anti-Christian. Anti-gospel and anti-Christian. Because God says that the biblical perspective is that we trust God in his character and believe that truth is what God says it is, regardless of how we feel about it. Let me say that again. We, the biblical perspective on life is trust God in his character and believe that truth is what God says it is, regardless of how we feel about it. So I think even at best, our children are experiencing at least this internal conflict because they're not dumb. They get these messages. They get these morals of these stories. And so where's the tension? It's there. It's within them, this tension. What do I believe? I know mom and dad in church may say something different, but I'm experiencing something else. Because I, I really start with that foundation today because the gospel is so opposite that of everything that society teaches and that this world says this is what you should value and this is what you should um, put your stock in and your hope in. And Philemon would make no sense whatsoever to us if it wasn't for a gospel lens to see that and how that this gospel lens brings down truth to a really, truly street-level, living-it-out way of existing as a believer in our society. And Philemon, I've come to love Philemon as I've dug into it, and it's the third shortest book in the Bible, but, and it only contains one chapter, as you know. I would dare say nobody in here, no matter how long you've been a believer, probably can quote a verse out of the book of Philemon. It's not one that we recite and quote very often. But it shows us the gospel is at work in real-life situations, real-life situations, and that's what we need. And so we're going to be in Philemon chapter 1, of course, verse 17 through 21 today. 
And as we read this, I want you to really pay attention to how the gospel runs so countercultural in so many ways. So Paul writes, he says, So if you, and you being Philemon, consider me your partner, receive him, receive Onesimus, as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing of you owing me even your own life. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Let's pray and we'll look at this text. Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us truth. And God, in a culture that does tell us to trust ourselves and how we feel and make our decisions based on what seems right and feels right to us, God, that your word speaks a different truth, a better word, God. Your, your word tells us through the power of the Holy Spirit that we've been created new in Christ Jesus. And we owe no more debt, as we just sang, that the debt's been paid in full and the gospel frees us to live for you, even in practical areas of our life that cost us something. And pray in Jesus' name, amen. Just to recap real quickly for those who maybe have missed a week or two or maybe every week of Philemon, that Paul is in prison more than likely in Rome, although that's disputed. But if he's in Rome, he's hundreds of miles away from Philemon, who is from the city of Colossae. And in Rome, if Paul is there, as Paul is there in prison, Philemon's slave, whether intentionally or unintentionally, providence of God, either way, shows up and he joins Paul and Paul ministers to him and Philemon's slave Onesimus puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So Paul writes this letter that we're reading back to encourage his, his friend in the gospel, Philemon, to receive back his escaped slave Onesimus not as an equal, not as back as a slave again, but as a brother in Christ. And so the question is, why should Philemon do that? And Paul has grounded this entire appeal, and he has not commanded this. He, this is an appeal to Philemon. It's grounded in the gospel, particularly in verse 6, as we've referenced a couple times, where Paul writes, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And so this verse, as I pointed out in the Monday email, sharing of your faith, that's not evangelism here. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, as it shows on the screen, that's koinonia. That's fellowship, common fellowship, mutual participation in the gospel. So out of their mutual participation in the gospel, out of this shared faith that Philemon and Paul and now Onesimus have for one another, He's appealing to him, and he's saying that you should accept Onesimus back as a brother because now he's a partner in the gospel. And so the more thoroughly Philemon recognizes how greatly that he himself has benefited from the gospel, the more inclined he will be to extend this mercy and this forgiveness and this reconciliation to others, especially in this case, Onesimus. And so Philemon, Paul reminds him of his identity in Christ. This, this is who you are in Christ. And so it comes down to, it boils down to, can we trust God in decisions even when they seem very, very costly to us? And I think it's only fitting, and, and it actually didn't hit me at the time until earlier this morning, 
that Michelle and I encountered a real-life scenario where this, this weekend, where this scripture and this idea and this, this truth had to be applied in a, in a very practical way, in a way where we were offended. We were done wrong. Nobody in, at Grace Church, but we were done wrong in a situation where we had to apply the gospel and show grace, even though it did cost us something. And we'll talk more about the cost of, in, a, in a minute. So we can't allow our feelings to dictate the truth of the gospel. We allow the gospel to be what interprets and helps us interpret our feelings and what is going on, our emotions within us. So verse 17, Paul says, So if you consider me, Philemon, your partner, this partner in the gospel, koinonia fellowship, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. So Philemon was to receive Onesimus back, bring him back to me, uh, Paul says, I'm sending him back to you. Receive him back as a partner in the gospel. So let's think real practically, all right? Put yourself in the situation where, because we talked about this, and we've talked about the slavery aspect, well, although it's not the same as what America experienced in the transatlantic slavery uh, because it wasn't based on your skin color. Nevertheless, these were people who were enslaved for one reason or another, and they were property. They were considered, they were the lowest of the low in society. They were property of their owner, and their owner could do pretty much whatever he wanted to with them. And so think about the excuses Philemon could come up with on what Paul's asking of him. Do you realize, Paul, how much I personally invested into this guy, Onesimus, all right? I, I, I paid a great deal for him. He serves my household. Why should I not accept him back in the position he was? I mean, you do the crime, you pay the time, right? He, he was wrong. He did something. More than likely, Onesimus stole or took something from Philemon when he left, and so he must be responsible, right? That's, that's our ethic, all right? He did something wrong. He should suffer the consequences for it. And so our minds would go to, I'm sure Onesimus just, he found Jesus in prison so he could get off on this, right? So he, he went and found Paul, and I, oh, I'm saved. I believe in Jesus. So Philemon wouldn't punish him. We can think of a, a million reasons why it would be crazy for Philemon to listen to Paul here to his appeal. I'm an established businessman, Philemon might have thought. Right? I'm a businessman. I have a reputation. I can't just go and changing the social order here. You just don't let slaves who steal and run off. You just can't let them back into the household and especially bring them back in as your brother in Christ. And so everything that is Paul is asking runs counter to the way of the thinking of the age, that time period. It would be so different because of what we would experience here in our situation because of just the hierarchy that existed in that society. And Paul's appeal was big enough to break down these social barriers that existed that were uh, just, we can't even fathom how big these were in his time. And Onesimus, again, he's at the bottom of society. But Paul says, consider him now a partner, a partner. Just koinonia, this gospel fellowship, considering him a possible. And he says, receive him as you would receive me. Our gospel partnership is so much more important than just our rights. What area of life would you find, do you find hard to accept God's truth in, to just believe God in spite of your feelings, as Philemon may have been facing here as he's reading this letter, and Philemon's even standing right in front of him? Where do you find, it, find trouble trusting God in his truth? Because unless we bring this down to real life, then the truth is we're not applying, we're not really reading Philemon. 
We have to bring this home to the fact that there's areas in our life, is it a relationship? Is it our money? Is it in our, our children, raising our, our kids? What area, your career, what area is it where you're having trouble trusting God? And, and, and I always remind myself of this, and I say this to you because this doesn't come naturally to me it is any more than it does for you. When you're in a bind, when you're in a tough situation, when you realize the cost of something, that we can trust God for our eternal life, right? We, we no question. Like, when I die, God's got me, right? I, I'm trusting Jesus. My faith is in Jesus. There's no question. I can trust God for my eternal life, but we struggle to trust him with our everyday life. And so we have to trust God, realizing that he's sovereign, he's in control, he's working things out. And while it, we may not have it work out exactly the way we hope for, the more we align ourselves with God and his spirit that lives within us, the more that we can not only accept what God does, but we find joy in the fact that we're fulfilling his kingdom purposes, growing in trust for, with him and our faith in him, and living it out in a way that isn't the way we would naturally choose. So Paul says, if you consider Onesimus your partner and you consider, Paul says, me your partner, receive him back as you would receive me. And, and there's a nice reversal here. If you were with us in week one where Paul said that Onesimus served him in prison in Philemon's place. So Onesimus was stepping in and filling Philemon's purpose, which was to encourage and support Paul. Onesimus did that. Now Paul says that uh, that Philemon is to receive Onesimus' service back in Paul's place. And so it's a kind of a nice little underlying uh, thing in the text there. But the true spiritual partnership is really what he's saying bounds them together, that this partnership exists, and we need to see this bigger than the realities of the things that we see in front of us, a gospel partnership for God's kingdom, for his glory. So receive him back as you re receive me. Philemon should love and respect Onesimus just as he does the apostle Paul. It reminds me of 1 Peter 4.8 where Peter writes, Above all, keep, yourself, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. Think about that for a second. Love covers a multitude of sins. As we participate in gospel community, as we're gospel partners for God's kingdom to advance his glory and his kingdom on this earth, we are going to have moments where Things just don't work together real smoothly, right? I mean, because we know that we're imperfect, that God is still working on us to conform us to the image of Jesus. And so we're going to hurt each other. We're going to say things that are insensitive to one another. It may have happened to you already this morning. You're going to feel slighted. Um, at times, you maybe even be gossip. Somebody will gossip about you. They'll turn down their nose at you, possibly. But we can't let pride stop us from doing what we should do. And that was Peter's... What, what he's getting at there, that love covers a multitude of sins. That loving each other includes forgiving each other, looking past the hurts, and building each other up when we fall. And I read this in one commentary. It says, it is difficult for sin and resentment to flourish in a community rich in Christian Christ-like love. Let me read that again. It's difficult for sin and, resist, and resentment to flourish in a community rich in Christ-like love. And so when love permeates our community and when we are seeking Christ and we're re reflecting on the gospel and rehearsing the gospel and we're praying the gospel, 
then we know that obviously there's going to be in a, in a community and a congregation this size, there are going to be people who are unbelievers and people who are not tracking with God. But, but overall, because we're moving in the right direction, these isolated incidents will not cause the community to stumble in a big way because we are working together and sin and resentment will not flourish in that kind of environment. And so we're to love each other and we overlook the wrongs for one another. And so I think that really boils down in just a practical application that we can take away from this passage first is that forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. Philemon was to forgive Onesimus as he would Paul. Pardon the offense. Forgive the offense. Forgiveness is a choice. And we have that choice. You have that choice. But the second thing is really important to remember, forgiveness always comes with a cost. Look at verse 18. If Onesimus has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. So Paul offers to make restitution to Philemon for any wrong that Onesimus may have done. And he knows, of course, that Onesimus being a slave, he lacks the ability and resources to do this himself. But what we see here is a beautiful model of the gospel. Jesus who paid the cost for our sins. More on that in just a minute. But I, I want to highlight verse 19 there where Paul said, I write this with my own hand, I will repay it. That may seem insignificant, but Paul would have been dictating this letter to more than likely Timothy who was there with him. Timothy would have been writing it down. This is such a big deal that Paul says to Timothy, hand me the pen. And we think that Paul probably had vision issues, so he probably couldn't see when he wrote with his own hand. It was probably sloppy, but you know what? It was, it was clear that Paul was writing this himself. And here he writes, and he says, this is my IOU to Philemon, all right? I'm, listen, I will cover, I will take care of whatever atrocity, whatever thing, whatever theft, or whatever way that he offended you, it's on my account. I'll take care of it, Paul says. And what we see there is a reflection of what the theologians call the doctrine of imputation. And we just sang about it in that last song. That when Jesus died on the cross, my sins were put upon him. Our sins, all those who were in Christ, our sins were placed upon Jesus and Jesus was treated the way that we deserve to be treated. And we cannot say this enough because it's so important. It has to do with your identity in Christ, understanding the depths of the gospel, that Jesus took the punishment and the sin that you deserved. And when you trusted Jesus as your Savior, his righteousness was imputed or put to your account, and now God accepts you and I in Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus and his righteousness, Jesus can say to the Father, he no longer owes you a debt because I paid it fully on the cross. Receive him as you would receive me. Jesus says that about us. Do you realize that's your gospel identity? That if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has begun. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this life that we live now is we live with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. And God sees us. He sees Jesus. 
And that's the identity that shapes us. And that's the identity that we need to be teaching our kids and not letting the, the world indoctrinate our kids with a thinking that says, just trust yourself, believe yourself, just you can do whatever you want to do and whatever you feel like doing, just discover yourself. And you think, you wonder why we're in the mess. I'm not saying that TV and Disney movies are to blame for all that. I'm not saying that. But our society definitely has adopted and probably has always been the case, but more so now in your face, just be what you want to be because whatever you feel like being and whatever you feel like doing, that's what you should do. Be true to yourself. And we're in this mess in this culture, in this society, because I think because churches are not teaching who we are in Jesus Christ. And we've allowed that our faith is just an easy believism where people come to the front, make a profession of faith, and then you're told to go on and you feel like maybe growing in Christ, do so. And it's this trans, we think this transaction that happened, that we just pray this prayer and then all of a sudden, poof, we're going to heaven and now we can just go and live whatever way we want to live. And we don't understand that when we come to Christ, Christ resides within us. And when we give our kids this shallow belief of salvation where it's just about to say these words, but we're not helping them understand the difference, the change that happens in their life when they truly place their faith and trust in Jesus. That all of a sudden that Jesus lives in you. That's the most defining thing about you is the fact that Jesus lives in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. That changes everything. And my identity in Christ now dictates through the Holy Spirit's work and conviction, it dictates the way that I live and the way that I act and the things I choose to do. But we know in Christ that there, we have enemies. We have people who are against us. We have enemies that are against us. And the scripture says it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. I mentioned that last week. And the world is trying to conform us to its image, mold us into its image. And one of the primary ways of doing that is by saying, just follow your heart. Just follow what you want. Don't follow God. Don't follow his word. Don't trust the Holy Spirit's work in you. Follow yourself. Do what feels good to you. And so what's happened is, what's happened, many Christians have landed in the spot where we say, I want to pretty much be accepted by that, the world out there. I want to live my life in a way that I can adapt to my situation and feel no resistance, but yet I still want to go to heaven, of course. And so we've created this culture where we raise our children and we raise our kids to be, just be comfortable with your faith. Be comfortable with your Christianity. And there's nothing comfortable about following Jesus. There's nothing comfortable in this world. The resistance we get, we're not going to fit. We're not going to blend in. And so we have to be clear with our children the cost of following Jesus that exists but here's the thing that we, we learn and we understand is that, that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, that's when we find the ultimate joy and the ultimate pleasure, the ultimate happiness and fulfillment in life. That following Christ isn't a drudgery. It's joy. It's great joy. It's incredible joy. Because the Holy Spirit who lives within us and he's engaged, wants us to engage God's will and he's yearning for us to just accept and follow and, and, and see God's will in every situation. And so as we do what we've been created to do anew in Christ, then in that we find incredible purpose and joy and delight. 
And that's why when we're comfortable and, and things are easy and we're not stepping out in faith in anything, there's no tension in our life, we don't have to put, depend upon God, we don't have to lean into the Holy Spirit for anything, then we just, we just exist and, and it, we, we get bored in our religion. But when we say, God, if you don't come through in this situation, or God, if you don't come through in what I feel like you're asking me to do, wow, this is going to be bad. I need you. I can't do this on my own. But there's very few things in life that we think that way and operate that way. But I would dare say, if we were more sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what Jesus has done for us, things like forgiveness, when it comes with this cost involved with it, which it always does, we, we say, God, I want your spirit to lead me to, so I can have a heart of forgiveness, not just words of forgiveness, but a heart of forgiveness. And so this whole idea of forgiveness and, and cost is Paul saying, look, I will absorb the cost of the wrong that Onesimus did. I will absorb, absorb that. What a picture of the gospel, right? That Jesus took the punishment we deserve, punishment had to be dealt out. It had to be given. Right? When, when there's a sin, an atrocity against God, there, that his character demands that there is a punishment for that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But what does Paul do? He represents the gospel beautifully. He says, I'll take that cost. I'll take that on. And so think about your own personal life. Maybe you're thinking about somebody who it's difficult to forgive and the cost that you feel personally in your heart that I can't forgive that person because they did something really bad and, and awful. And, and if I just say, you're forgiven, then I'm just like letting them off the hook, right? And, and then I can't like rehearse it in my mind again and again and, and think about all that they owe to me and all that they should pay. But when we forgive, we say what Jesus said, I, I'm taking it on, I'm taking the cost for it. I'm not going to hold the cost against them. I'm taking it on. I forgive. And that's the model of Paul, what he does here. And what he wants Philemon to do as he's reading this letter in real time, think about the gospel, Philemon. Think about what God's done for you in Christ. Look at verse 18. And if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own life. What's he talking about there? He says, remember your salvation, Philemon. Remember the debt that you had to God. And remember when I gave you the gospel and you put your faith in Jesus. Pause and think about that, Philemon. Think about how much God has forgiven you. You see, the gospel is not only our motivation, it's our model for forgiveness. It's our motivation for forgiveness, Jesus what Jesus did on the cross, and it's our model, the way that he did it. He took on our sin and our place and gave us his righteousness. And so he's saying, think about the gospel here. Onesimus' debt, if you think about the gospel, seems pretty small, doesn't it, compared to the debt you owed to God. When you think about the cost compared to Jesus's, it really seems pretty small, right? And that's the way we preach the gospel to ourselves in these situations, we, when we're offended, when things happen, we, rethink, we remember the gospel, we think about the gospel, we rehearse the gospel, and we live out the model of the gospel. And we live that out, as I said, in community, with our love for one another, 
I think of Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and loving to each other. Here's the gospel. Forgive each other the same as God forgave you through Christ. Just like God forgave you because Jesus took the punishment you deserved, he took the cost that you should have had. That's our mindset. That's the habit we have to begin to create in our minds and our hearts when we inevitably encounter things that will hurt us and rub us the wrong way within the church community and even in our own family. When we're offended, we quickly realize, hey, God's in control. And that's the situation Michelle and I had to, I had to realize. And it, it was so crazy that the situation that happened and then just totally in a, in a different scenario, I ran into the people at a totally different place. And I even said this to them, you know, all things happen for a reason. It's okay. Sleep easy. The lady said, I, I didn't even hardly sleep last night because of what happened, what we did. And I was like, rest easy tonight, okay? It's okay. It's okay, really. And that's the way we had to realize that when we, when we preach the gospel to ourselves, we realize that even things that are offensive to us or things that have been, we've been done wrong, these are opportunities for us to grow. Opportunities to grow. We don't think naturally that way, do we? We think, get even. Make them pay. The gospel says, this is an opportunity for me to grow. And it's a test of my love for other saints and for my spiritual maturity. In verse 20, Paul says, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And so he wants to hear back that Philemon has done the right thing here. Paul says he would experience joy even as he's there in prison because he sees his disciple, Philemon, the guy that he's poured into, he sees him living out the faith. It brings Paul incredible joy. And I think that's true for this church and for its leadership, that when we see our church living out the gospel, it just does incredible things. I was talking to a couple before church today, and they were just recounting the goodness of the Lord and even saying, John, we've seen in the last 10 years incredible growth in you and Michelle during this time as being pastor here. And we were talking about the, kind of the rough situation 10 years ago that went, we went through as a church. And it was so refreshing, and it was totally impromptu and wasn't planned, but the fact that they said that, it was, it was refreshing to me. It, it just brought joy to me to see God's faithfulness, not because of this guy, but because of Jesus living through us and through our leadership. And so Philemon, Paul's saying, allow the truth of the gospel to just sink in and refresh your heart. Allow it to change you. Allow God to just do incredible things because verse 21, I need to flip back in my text because I, I lost verse 21 here somewhere. It says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. He says, I'm confident you're going to do even more than I say. Why is that? Is that because Philemon's such an amazing guy? It's because Jesus is amazing. And when Christ lives within us, which he does as believers, and when we understand our identity in Christ, who he said we are, not how we feel we are, but who Jesus says we are because of the cross and the empty grave, then we can walk in confidence knowing that God's going to do even more through us than we can even imagine or think. And so he knows that Philemon, if he allows his mind and heart to reflect upon the gospel, 
good things are going to happen, plain and simple. Good things will happen. And the same thing is true in your life. I promise you. You cannot sit at the feet of Jesus, and you cannot rehearse the gospel to yourself each and every day, and it not change you completely. You'll be totally different in the way you view the world, totally different in the way that you view yourself, because you're viewing yourself through Christ, the way that you view, view your relationships, adversity, struggles. You're going to view these things totally different because of the cross. So our application today, it's the three things I mentioned about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice, first of all. You don't have to wait till you feel like forgiving to forgive someone. The world says, follow your heart and to wherever it leads. And God says, forgive as Christ. God has forgiven you in Christ. And then your heart, the heart has to be there. The gospel is our motivation and model for forgiveness. If you're not sitting at the feet of Jesus, allowing the gospel, just the message just to soak over you, there's no way that you're going to forgive with any grace whatsoever. But the more we see the grace that God has poured out on us, how can we resist? The Holy Spirit will say, tell them just to rest easy. Tell them to sleep easy. It's okay. In our hands, forgiveness comes with a cost. Who do you need to reach out to in response? It will cost something to do so. It will cost you some pride, some effort, thinking they don't deserve it, and it's going to cost you because maybe they don't deserve it. But will you reach out and forgive? Will you just let it go? Give it to God. Trust Jesus. Trust the gospel and let it do its work in you. And as Paul said to Philemon, even more will happen than you can imagine. It'll be so much even better than I expect. Let's pray. Father God, we, we believe in the power of the gospel. But I will admit that sometimes when it comes to living it out, sometimes I don't believe it as much when I'm living it as I'm saying it right now in this moment because sometimes it doesn't feel, feel fair, it doesn't feel right. And God, I pray you'll help me to trust your word. And God, for our parents who are raising children in the home and, and with screen time and media just coming at them, teaching the opposite, God, I pray you'll help them to be intentional in their discipleship and help them to show kids and explain to kids the forgiveness that is available through Christ and the change that makes in our hearts. God, I pray for teenagers in here who have been just inundated with this type of thought process for all their life, God, and how now they just find their faith boring and the Holy Spirit is not active in their life, and maybe their salvation isn't even real. God, I pray that you will move upon their hearts and move them to respond to you and today put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God, for adults, for parents, for grandparents, for God, all those who set an example for life and godliness before this community, God, I pray that you'll allow us to walk with you each and every day. Help us to seek you first. And God, I pray that you will help us to live out our gospel identity in this community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.